Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hello there and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on HawkFanatic.com. It is Thursday, December the 21st, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. We've been at this for a while, uh, so welcome back to those that are regulars and uh, welcome to those that uh, may have not seen this before or heard this before. We appreciate everybody that listens and our sponsors as well. You heard um, one coming in from Wild Rose Casino into the podcast. We'll have more throughout the podcast. Won't take up a lot of time, but they pay the bills. So we appreciate them all. Happy holidays to everyone. This will be the last podcast before some of the holidays hit us next week. Um, and we'll uh, dive in a little bit here with a couple Festivus uh, uh mm-hmm. Celebration. Uh, we're a little early on that as well. That's not as Festivus falls on a Saturday this year, so should be good for part Festivus parties uh, on Saturday night. So we'll have a few uh, problems that we have with you people, and we'll uh, we'll address those a little bit later on. We got a lot to talk about today, though, Scott. Uh, I wanted to start with kind of the like an overarching topic of roster management, and within that is. The 2024 recruiting class that signed yesterday, guys that Iowa is waiting on, seniors that Iowa is waiting on whether or not they're going to come back, potential transfer portal, all of those things are kind of folded in under this roster management, which has become really, really difficult now because there's different timelines, right, for everybody, and you don't know when you're going to get clarity on this we we should have it here within the next month or so what is the uh the nfl draft deadline usually like the middle of january right yeah i believe it's the 15th but i i can verify that really quick so yeah um, so that's kind of the the deadline deadline cooper DeGene told us the other day he said no rush um yeah. i get a sense that the coaches probably have a feel for what these guys are going to do or which which way the lean is uh, but still, I mean, it kind of handcuffs you a little bit here. Not that that's a bad thing, because I think Iowa would be very happy if the six, six uh, gentlemen that are are uh, deciding right now were to come back. It definitely would be most likely better than what you would get out of the portal or on the recruiting trail. There are guys that are in your system, uh, guys that have played, started for the most part. So um, just kind of. The difficulty in that, where do you want to start on this? You want to start with the recruiting class? You want to start with senior decisions? Um, I'll let you I'll, I'll let you run with this. Okay. I, I think, you know, first, we know the class, but we don't know the senior decisions as far as who's, go, who's coming back, who's not. So I think that's probably a little bit more speculative and more interesting. And that is, you know, Tyler Barnes had six players kind of making their own decisions right now, uh, the extra year guys. Plus there's really two um, 
players with eligibility that, you know, still remaining that have NFL decisions. So they're kind of waiting on them. They're not doing so impatiently, but I think that that's, uh, you know, the, the next couple of weeks to month really dictate how they're going to progress. And um, when you look at the secondary and linebacking core, that's really, um, you know, that's really a question mark. I mean, if they were to lose, like, let's say Cooper goes to the NFL and then uh, Quinn decides, well, I'll give the NFL a shot or dental school and, right. and Castro decides to go and um, Jamari Harris decides to go. Then all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, you know, you've got, you got some major holes you need to fill and pretty quickly to do so. Uh, but if they all t- decide to return, you know, in the secondary and maybe, maybe Cooper goes to the NFL and the rest come back or, or, you know, at least Jamari and Sebastian come back, then, you know, they have it. Then it's like, well, we're pretty good there. We don't need to worry about anything. So I think, uh, you know, I know that the, the staff that deals with roster management, you know, are, are looking pretty hard still at the portal just to make sure if things happen one way or the other, but they feel pretty confident internally that a lot of these guys are going to come back. They they think that I was told yesterday by somebody I was talking to that they would think that it's more likely than not that say five out of six return versus one out of six. So um, it's just a matter of kind of getting them to say yes. And in some ways it's also if the right person says yes, then that's when probably people will follow. And I would say Jay Higgins would probably be the right person because he's such a commands the room in so many different ways. So, um, you know, so, but then it comes down to after that, you're looking at staring at what 91 type scholarships. uh, And that means some people are going to have to get medical and probably, you know, and, and they don't seem to be too concerned with that. And I wouldn't be either. I mean, they've only lost four scholarship guys to the portal. You figure, Rob, we've been doing this a while after the bowl game. One, maybe two might decide, you know what, I I don't know if I'm going to get a chance here. I'm going to take a look around. And then after the spring, there might be somebody else or two or four to decide to do the same thing. And then before you know it, even if all of them return and there's a couple uh, and maybe they go to the portal and grab a receiver or something like that. And then they still at like 83 scholarships going into the fall camp and, and a walk on gets one or something. So I, I, I don't think they're too overly worried about it. And, and really they probably shouldn't be. No. And as you kind of referenced there, there there's the transfer portal now, and then there's one in the spring as well. So there's, it's not like if you don't get guys out of the portal this month right now that you're not going to be able to add to the roster next year before you get in. You sometimes, you know, you have an injury in spring practice or as Scott said, guys leave after spring, they get a better evalu- evaluation of where they stand in the program. Um, so it's, it's constantly fluid more, more now than ever. Um, what I have, I kind of just did a remedial rundown of scholarships yesterday. I had them at 82. Yeah, um, 82? Yeah. Oh, okay. But I could be missing walk-ons maybe that have gotten scholarships. Um, wh- where are you at? I'm at 86. Okay. So and, I'm missing four guys. Did you? Yeah. Are you including the guys coming back? I took those guys out. I took he, like DeGene, Lachey. Um, 
And then the six, oh. I, I took all okay. those guys out. So Okay. Well, um, I added Nick DeYoung because he's coming back. I have I, him and McNamara as the two yeah. seniors that are definitely coming back. And then I have, um, uh, I, I kept, I've kept Lachey and DeGene because they're still on it now right. once they, they leave it. But, you know, you have 21 in your class right now. Uh, there's 19, what I'll call redshirt freshmen next year. Um, and then after that, you have, uh, 14 sophomores. Um, and then, you know, junior class, this is where it gets a little weird because as you said, you know, there's 19 of them, you know, you got Deacon Hill, Caleb or Johnson, Seth Anderson, Addison Ostranga, Bo Stevens, Jennings Dunker, Mike Maslinski, Griffin Little, uh, Aaron Graves, Max Llewellyn, Jeremiah Pittman, Jeff Bowie, Jaden Harrell, Carson Shire, Zach Tweet, Xavier Wampa, TJ Hall, Devin Hilson, and Drew Stevens. And then uh, the seniors right now, I guess it would be 13, counting Nick DeYoung, and that's McNamara, LaShawn Williams, Lachey, Nick DeYoung, Mason Richmond, Tyler Ellsbury, Connor Colby, Logan Jones, Deontay Craig, Ethan Herkett, YA Black, Cooper, DeGene, and uh, Luke Elkin. So um, I have them at 86, but, you know, again, the the sixth-year guys are kind of fascinating because, uh, as we said, there are three um, defensive backs, and they are, uh, you know, Castro, Schulte, Harris. Um, you've got the linebackers, you know, which you got Jay Higgins, who's probably the biggest decision of them all individually. Uh, Nick Jackson can, can get a waiver, and they're – they are considering that right and now he, because is it a done? I mean, what did he get it or does he have to apply? He has, he to, has to, he has he has to a, be, it has to be granted, right? It has to be granted. And See, now I'm wondering about, okay, he's applies. Now we're waiting on the NCAA and then the deadline's coming for the end. That's, that's a headache too. Hopefully yeah. they do the right thing, but we've, how yeah. many times have we said that? Right. And Kyler Fisher. Um, and he's been wanting to come back. I don't know if that's, you know, if, if that's contingent on other ones or if that's, hey, we'll welcome you back no matter what. I mean, in some ways, if Jackson and Higgins decide to leave for the NFL, then I think I would welcome him back. If they decide to come back, then, you know, you hate to be cutthroat, but it is a business too. Um, Nick DeYoung is, of course, as we said. Uh, Dejon Parker, I can't imagine him coming back. I mean, the numbers are the numbers, and if you're if you can't get past second team, and yeah. it's kind of hard. And then Eric All is another one that um, you know when he initially came here, he was one. He said it was a one year deal. He does have a child in, in Michigan, uh, but getting an ACL in October is not. You know, it's not advantageous for you to go to the next level at all. I mean, you're you're stuck because, in his case, will he be a, an NFL draft pick? Probably not because of that. that's unfortunate and sad. But maybe he's a late rounder or something. But uh, you know that. And plus, what would he have been if he had been healthy? Probably a mid rounder. You know, fourth fifth round is my guess. So I, you know, that one is I've heard less about. I haven't had a chance to talk to Eric um, and I haven't had a lot of background discussion about Eric. So, um, but either way, any of those players would be helpful for next year. And then it takes away spots. So let me ask you this, Rob, if let's say that 
they 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 hit a home run. They're at 86 scholarships the way I got it. Uh, let's say that they get all three defensive backs. They keep Cooper. <laughs> they get their uh, – I'm, I'm shooting the moon here. I'm going all the way to the top. Uh, Jackson and Higgins are coming back. At least one of the tight ends. Let's say let's say Lachey comes back, um, and so that would put him at what um, ninety two scholarships. Where do you approach the portal then for this team at this point? I mean, because you feel like defensively you're set, you're not touching anything. Offensively, let's face it, they were the worst offense in the country this year. Um, you're bringing back everybody on the offensive line, but. You're, you know, yeah. you know, and you're hopeful, hopeful your quarterback and your tight end switch some things up, but you're still not in great shape. You know, where do you do you think they need more? Are they good and just see what happens or or what are you thinking here? This is just a really tough spot to be in because you're waiting on mostly defensive guys as seniors to make a decision. And I'm not <laughs> If you can keep the defense intact, you do it because then you just try to do whatever you can on offense, which is kind of <laughs> the approach the last three years. But you, you, I mean, you have to retain the guys that you know can help you. And that's why I have no problem with what they're doing if they're trying to keep most of those guys in the fold. But I think it's painfully obvious that they need help at receiver. So do you run guys off? I mean, that's really your only option, right? Or unless they leave on their own, unless they figure out, hey, I'm not going to get playing time. I mean, it's a very slippery slope. You don't want to be one of those programs that gets known for running guys off because that's negative and it's, you you know, it gets used against you. But I don't, Scott, I don't know how they go into next season without addressing receiver. Yeah, I'm there with you. And, and let's say that they, you know, I mean, Kate is obviously coming back, but let's say one of the tight ends come back and let's just address that side of the ball. Based on what we see here, um, I don't think they'll change much on the offensive line. I mean, they've got everybody returning. They feel pretty good about it. Now, um, you know, I would say that they made a lot of strides. Rusty's gone, right? Rusty's yeah, gone. yeah, my bad. Rusty's gone. Okay. But but bringing back Nick DeYoung and guys like that, that it's uh, – you know, but they've got they've got some players now that you're looking at, and and we don't really need to to mention them, but y'all know who they are. You know, that have they've had an injury history, and those seem to get targeted for medical. As we'll put, we'll keep you on scholarship at the school, but your football career is over here. Um, and I would say in that going into their junior year, I could see three right away that have had injury histories that haven't really moved into that depth chart area. And, and then there's a couple others that are in that same kind of group, all of them in that, that going from sophomore to junior year. And that's kind of the, the, the crossroads to your career. You know, there's probably a good five that I could look at and say, yeah, you're probably targeted for something, you know, and, and that could be medical, that could be look at the depth chart and you're not on it. <laughs> you know, let's let you come to this decision and we'll help you get somewhere because they've been pretty good about that. And actually, they're at their attrition right now is is at or near the lo- uh, the lowest of the Big Ten. Um, so if if somebody who hasn't seen any action and they're going into their fourth year gets run off, they're not going to look that bad. Um, but 
you're going to have to be a little bit cutthroat because if players have all the, this power right now to move and at any time, teams have to have an opportunity to, to, you know, recalibrate as well. So I could see, like I said, at least five in that area of you might be, if you want to play football, it might not be for the Hawkeyes anymore. Yeah. And like you said, it's, you know, it's not ideal, but players are getting getting more freedom now. There's NIL. There's a lot more movement. If you're moving and other you know other student athletes are moving, you have to give the program some leeway too to say, hey, you know this isn't working out. You're you know we don't see a future for you here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know just you got to be blatantly honest with guys yeah. and just say, you know you've been here three or four years and you haven't moved up the jet depth chart. What would you think about maybe going down a level or mm-hmm. finding a will help you? I yeah. mean, there's ways to do this where it's not just, you know, being being shitty to the guys mm-hmm. that you said, come join us. You know, you recruited to your program, but there's also the reality of can you play at this level? Right. Because, you know, they, they have good connections at other places. You know, they have. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there's a relative that coaches at South Dakota, you know, and, and, and Steve Ferentz, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and if Miles Taylor's there too, Miles Taylor, absolutely. And if, if there's a defensive back that's, you know, just looking to get on the field, you know, type of thing. And, uh, you know, or, or likewise, anybody, yeah, you know, you that, that's at North Dakota state too now. Yeah. Right. And you got Northern Iowa within your state borders. You've got a lot of Mac schools that are nearby that you frequent, <laughs> you know, and there's a, there's a ton of Valley teams and they know everybody. I mean, they've gotten to know people over the years and that's kind of what it's all about. You know, that as much as they get crapped on at that level, they also have opportunities to take players that will help them that just aren't, you know, for, you know, and maybe a couple of these guys, maybe it's just injuries. Maybe it's just, yeah, damn, I keep getting hurt and I just can't progress because of that. And, and then, and then I get lapped and then it's like, well, I just need an opportunity to play, you know, cause somebody's ahead of me now. Uh, it's going to be another year before I get a chance to play. And then, and by then I'm looking at my fifth year, may, maybe I get another opportunity, but you know, so sometimes it's like, all right, I'll I'll go ahead and take the the Northern Illinois spot just so I get on the field, and then maybe at the end you're like, yeah, you know, second team all conference, and and you get a chance at the NFL. Where other, otherwise at Iowa, maybe you you get a spot start when you're a senior, and that's about it. Yeah, and I think it's I I we've talked about this before. The guys that go that are at practice every day, the guys that are competing every day, they know where they stand. They know the you know which guys are better. Some of them can get a little clouded, maybe mm-hmm. with you know people in their ears and things like that. But you know, you you look at you know. Iowa recruits a bunch of defensive backs and then Quinn Schulte walks on and ends up winning that spot. That changes the dynamic of that position. Cause now maybe a scholarship guy that thought he was going to play is now passed by a walk on that changes things. So just because how things look with the beginning, when you get here or you're like, okay, I'm going to sign with Iowa. I'm a part of this class. This is what the depth chart looks like ahead of me. 
that is going to change. It always changes. So you have to change. You have to adjust. And, um, you know, we see it at all different positions as well. Nick DeYoung's a guy who, you know, yeah. ended up passing guys that came in on scholarship. It's just, it's the way it goes. And um, I think they're going to be, I don't think you can avoid hurting feelings, Scott, at yeah. some points when this is going on, but it, it's reality. And with the transfer portal and the ability for players to make money and move, that this is also what comes with it. Sometimes yeah. you're going to be told, you know, it's not working for you here. Exactly. And, and that's, it's, it sucks, but it's, it's a business too. And when you have business decisions, are you going to really keep somebody who's hanging around and not Jay Higgins? You know, you got to win games. As we saw, you can still win 10 games and get your offensive coordinator fired, (laughs) you know? So um, that, that's where it all comes down to. And, and, you know, co- the, the, this coaching staff, if there's anything about them that you respect, it's that they are brutally honest. They're always honest. They've never sugarcoated anything and they've never bullshitted anybody. You know, what they try to say is, look, you know, this is where we see you fitting in. You have the opportunity to compete that, as you said, most of the players know, you know, the only ones who really don't feel that way. A lot of times are the skill position players, because that's a little bit it's it's more subjective in your evaluation, you know, who can run the best routes, who can throw the best ball, you know, who has leadership responsibilities and who doesn't, that type of thing. That That's where it, it gets a little dicey. But when you're talking about an offensive lineman, you know, you know, you know, if, uh, if somebody is better than you, you know, because they're physically better than you and they're, you know, and, and maybe, you know, once in a while, maybe you have that conversation. Well, I think I'm better. Well, no, you're not. And they tell you that and they coach you hard. And, and so, and at every time that somebody comes in, <laughs> Rob, we know this too, that they tell them, you know, Hey, next year, we're going to try to recruit somebody better than you. And, uh, and when you look at like the line, let's look, take a look at the linebacker situation. Currently, the three guys coming in are all elite players. <laughs> They're all going to play at some point, maybe not next year when maybe one gets one or two gets on the field for special teams, but Cam Buffington, if he was at Dowling or city or, you know, Kennedy or something like that. And if he decided, nah, I, I want to open up my recruitment. I mean, this year, Oklahoma came after him and it's like, Oh, how, uh, how committed are you? <laughs> Well, I'm committed. Shut up. Go home. You know, that type of thing. You know, Derek Wieskopf, USC, you know, hey, we're just wanting to know, are you, are you really committed to Iowa or not? Or you want to take a trip to L.A.? No. Um, get out of here. And, you know, Preston Reese, who is a doppelganger for Josie Jewell and his attitude and mindset and toughness and, you know, same type of thing. Um, but you look at those three plus Ben Keeter. And if you're in that sophomore junior group, you better make your freaking strides right now and you better make them in the spring because otherwise you're going to get beat. And then, you know, then you're just taking up spots. So that's, uh, you know, that's what everybody's got to evaluate. I mean, Jalen Watson to me, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm segueing too quickly here, but. No, let's, let's cruise, let's cruise into the class that signed yesterday. Yeah. Good, good time to do that. Good segue. Yeah. I mean, Jalen Watson, you know, is to me, uh, you know, an, uh, the one of the two most underrated players in this class, you know, as a wide receiver, he, he was unguardable in Ohio. Now he's flipping over to the other side and they think those skills will translate even better. 
the defense. You know, would it be a surprise to you if by the end of training camp next year he's the second team corner? Wouldn't surprise me. No, not at all. You know, so that's where if you're in that glut, the midsection, it's like, are you plateauing or are you grinding and getting better? And they know and they have to know. And the team has to know because if you're, again, going into your junior year and you're just not quite getting to the depth chart, and but Deshaun Lee is and uh, John Nestor is, and you know that Jalen Watson's going to get there and, and stuff, then it's time to, okay, you know, I'm at a crossroads of my career. And you got TJ Hall coming back yeah. too. And he's got had time, but yeah. And just, and again, this stuff is so fluid and, and development is not linear Scott. And we see that with guys that emerge later in their career. So you have to be cautious of that too, is a guy, yeah. may, you know, his, his development may be a little slower early on, but does he catch fire like a Michael Ojemudia? Yeah. Or, you know, uh, Fletcher or somebody like that. I'm talking about defensive backs that end up getting better as their careers go on. You don't know that, but I think it's harder now to wait on guys because of the immediacy and the transfer portal and guys play, coming to college as recruits re- more ready to play right away from the development that they get in high school. From a physical standpoint, a lot of schools have their own – high schools have their own strength and conditioning programs. It's a lot different than when you and I – when you and I were in high school, obviously, <laughs> when they used to – you know, the horse and buggy. We used yeah. to go to get to school in the horse and buggy. <laughs> but I used to have a 45-minute cassette of We Will Rock You, and I played on my Walkman in the locker room with these big fuzzy earphones and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little different now. Um well, you know, I, I think when it comes to waiting and being patient, I think you can do that more on the line of scrimmage than you can in the other yeah, places. I would agree. Because, you know, it's still about physical development and power and, and strength. And, you know, and there always seems to be one or two linemen that, whether it's injuries or it's something, kind of delays them. They get kind of in that zone of, uh, you know, where am I at? And then, then all of a sudden you get Logan Lee, you know, who – yeah was for a couple of years, just kind of always hurt, always struggling. And then finally, bam, you know, it comes a incredible contributor for a couple of years. And about Castro. Yeah. Right. I you mean, know, he waited his time and, you know, but he got to second team at least, you yeah. know, it, and, it's, and we were hearing about him. Yeah. But it, it just, he couldn't get through because the guys ahead of him are all now in the NFL. Right. And, uh, but you know, offensive linemen, you know, there's a couple that, you know, it, it's one thing to be kind of that super sub, yeah. you know, may, maybe one of the top seven versus being number 11. If you're number 11, then it's like, I got to reevaluate where I'm at because if I can't, maybe I crack the depth chart, but I've only seen action on field goal and um, two blowouts. You know, is that really worth your football career? And and, and for some players, and, and we celebrate them too, they decide that, you know what, sticking around here, this is the team I've chosen. I really enjoy where I'm at, enjoy my teammates. Um, I'm getting a great degree from an awesome university. I'm just going to go ahead and write it out. You know, Devontae Young stands out for that, you know, some players. Flip positions, went to the other side, Mark Henry Marquez, you know, and they, and they become valuable contributors too, don't get me wrong. But when you're in a scholarship crunch like this, then that's where it becomes a little bit more 
tight fisted and tight, you know, I don't want to use Sophie's choice or anything. It's not that severe, but you know, but there are some decisions to make business decisions. Yes, no doubt. And obviously this, this 24 class will come in a couple receivers in that group, KJ Parker, Reese Vanderzee from uh, central lion, George Little Rock. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's going to be what seven running backs on scholarship next year. Do yeah. I have that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a lot of guys at one position, man. Yeah, that's that's one where, I, and I'm not going to predict anybody, but I think uh, it wouldn't shock me if they come back from the bowl and one decides that they want to take a look around because, as you said, they like both guys coming in. One's an in-state guy, the other fits what they want, you know, Brevin Dahl's in-state Iowa guy all the way around, very, very fast. Um, you know, Xavier Williams is big and thick and physical and, you know, and then you look at kind of the top and you got LaShawn Williams, who's really emerged as kind of their, their go-to back. I mean, very reliable, yep. you know, and, and then you've got, I think four very talented running backs in the middle. Um, you know, the, the true freshman played and played well, I thought last year. And then, or, you know, when they got, when they had to, and then I thought Patterson and Johnson have a lot of potential too, but it would not surprise me. In fact, it would surprise me more if they're here in by June, if all seven are here versus if one or two takes off, I think that would be, I would expect that more so. Yeah. And I also think, and, and we talked about this earlier this year, I think there are some versatile guys in that group that you can use in other ways, getting multiple on the field at the same time. But that's a discussion for another day. Uh-huh. I felt somewhat um, – what's the word I'm looking for? I felt like I, – I felt seen, as the kids say. Um, I think I wrote Monday or Tuesday – my lead to my recruiting roundup was that Iowa did better in state. I wasn't breaking any news, but I think that was a focus after the 23 class where there were guys that um, Iowa was targeting that yeah. ended up going to Iowa state. And I, and I, we've talked about this and I've written about this. And I know, I know you've written about this. It's it's different now at Iowa State with Matt Campbell than it was with Paul Rhodes. Matt Campbell is not shying away. He's going to mm-hmm. go after the top in-state guys just like Iowa, do, the Iowa does, whereas Paul Rhodes would kind of shy away and defer. Uh, and last year, Iowa State did well. They got guys that Iowa wanted. Mm-hmm. This year, it was the opposite. It was um, you know, somewhat of a flip of that. There were guys – most of the guys that – at least waited to commit. Mm-hmm. You talked about like Buffington and those guys. And even those guys had Iowa state offers early. Mm-hmm. Um, and Iowa did well, keeping the in-state guys together. Now we can go with the rankings, top seven of eight, whatever. That's subjective to me. Um, to me, it's more Iowa and Iowa state both wanted these guys and Iowa got most of those guys. That means more to me than the rankings. Sure. I mean, the rankings are, I mean, let, let's take Cody Fox at the very, very top. If he didn't commit after his freshman year, if he would have waited till a year ago to commit, he would have been the number one guy in the class in the state of Iowa. No question. 
but he committed so early and he's out of sight, out of mind. And well, it's just an Iowa, small town, Iowa kid. Whereas you look at Grant Bricks and well, he's visiting here, he's visiting there and everybody wants him there and blah, 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 blah. And then doesn't commit until after Thanksgiving. Well, his stock rises because it's interesting. (laughs) That's the way it works in a lot of these situations. But I think in state, as you said, um, you know, there wasn't a David Colker situation where they flipped from Iowa to Iowa State. There wasn't, you know, Kai Black and 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 JMO uh, Patterson. Yeah, uh, the in you know the Des Moines market was where Iowa State really hit hard last year, and and um, you know, and Caden Proctor is a different situation altogether. But but I think you know, I talked to Tyler kind of on the side yesterday for a little while, and Tyler Barnes, and one of the things that they're tweaking in this process in state is that they are targeting um, that they're going to be more willing to offer in-state guys earlier, that there's no more waiting around. Let's see how they do. Let's kind of slow play them. And no, that they're they're not going to do that anymore because they all, they know they respect Iowa state enough. And and frankly, got to respect Nebraska because they're targeting him too. That, hey, you know, if, if we wait, you know, they if Iowa State offers a kid when he's a f- freshman track athlete, then we better be right there. Otherwise, they're going to build up this six months worth of visits and, and, hey, we love you. We've offered you. They haven't. We love you, not them. And next thing you know, you lose that guy. And then, you know, in the Cyhawk game in, in 2029, that they intercept that pass to end the game. You know, <laughs> so it, it, you know, you know how it works. I mean, yeah. when you got a close game like this year, Ethan Herkett, what if he doesn't play for Iowa? You know, maybe they get that fourth down. Maybe they go down and they score. They talk, you know, so it's just, it's really narrow and you've got to be careful about that. And so I, I think what you're going to see are if, if there's some sophomores that look like they're going to be guys, they're going to offer them. They're just not going to wait. And, and that's a little bit dangerous, but it's also what you have to do because, Iowa State's not Paul Rhodes anymore. It's not, well, he likes Iowa. He grew up an Iowa fan. We're just going to ignore him. No, they're going to they're gonna target him. They don't care. Yeah, it's early evaluation is key, and it, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier with roster management. You have to be able to identify guys earlier because everybody is doing it. Everybody is, is getting out there, and, you know, they're – these camps that you can bring kids into in the summer and get a better look at them. And I was done that with some of these guys, the guys that are in this class camped at Iowa at a younger age. And you look at this 24 class and Scott spoke to it, Cody Fox and Cam Buffington committed in the summer of 2021. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. And then you had Weisskopf the April after that Weisskopf. I'm not sure how he says it. Yeah. Is it Weisskopf or Weisskopf? Weisskopf. I think it's Weisskopf. Yeah. Weisskopf? Okay. Yeah. And then Reese, uh, Preston Reese was close after that. And then Drew Campbell came in, Brevin Dahl, Reese Vandersee. They are all before the season. Those guys are all um, – and the guys that I have, Weisskopf, 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 Dahl, Campbell, Reese, and Vandersee all reported Iowa State offers. Yeah. All of those things. You know, and uh, – and, you know, kind of one of my favorite recent features I wrote was one today on what I called the core four. And those were the four that all committed to Iowa more than 18 months before signing day. And, you know, and that's 
They all were targeted by Iowa State. Now, Buffington said that uh, – I think it was Buffington – that he went there. Um, they said, we're going to recruit you. They didn't officially offer him. But he was also so early. you know. And he was like, I was getting ready to go to a – but once Iowa heard about it, and, and he was getting ready to go to a camp in Missouri – just to you know, see, and then I was like, "Why don't you come to our camp instead?" And then all of a sudden, they give him an offer, and he's like, "Well, it's forty-five minutes away. I grew up an Iowa fan. He's got pictures of him as a youth, and it was an easy call." And in fact, you know, for him and, and for Reese, they were all both like, and Fox too. You know, it's like they had to contain themselves to keep from committing right on the spot. You know, they oh, were just his brother running. walked on here too yeah. at the time. He just. It's Taylor, right? Was yeah, Taylor, Taylor Fox. Fox. Yeah, and he was done last year. Was yeah. his last year? So yeah. they had that connection as well, right? And he was a player at that time and yep. everything. And and uh, so you have those connections. Uh, Weiskopf was a little bit different in that that he, um, you know, he'd had Wisconsin offer, and he went to Wisconsin and camped. Iowa was heavy on him. It was really between those two. Um, Iowa State and Nebraska jumped in, and he visited them. Um, both, but, um, you know, he, he just didn't want to mess around. And then even though all these teams like, you know, with Fox, he's getting Notre Dame and Ole Miss are coming after him. And he's just like, you know, Hey, don't you want to go to a Notre Dame game for, you know, he's like, no, I'd rather go to Iowa. (laughs) So, you know, these guys are just salt of the earth. And, uh, but you know, what's interesting to me is when you look at the roster management, those three linebackers, Buffington, Weiskopf and Reese, um, you know, one at basically two spots, you're grabbing three guys that are all pretty high level guys. That's unusual. And if one of them was across the way, across the river or into Wisconsin or Northern Illinois, even they would have, you know, it's hard to say if they would have gotten, you know, it's just, but they're so close. Would you really want to have to play against one of them at Iowa state? you know, yeah. or Wisconsin, you know, so they'll take them, they'll figure out which seat on the bus they're, they're on and move from there. It also helps, as you said, that they were on in our part of the state. I think yeah. people don't see the separation sometimes or, or the division. Mm. I don't want to use that word. The, mm. <laughs> there's the Eastern Iowa and then there's the Central Iowa mm. and then there's the Western Iowa. And those are mm. all, I think Iowa sometimes has a better chance to recruit on the other side of the Mississippi, yeah. Western Illinois, than they do Western Iowa sometimes, mm-hmm. just based on the fandoms there and just the distance and how these kids are brought up. You know, yeah. you look at even the guys in the 25 class at Algona. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? With yeah. uh, uh, Alex Mansky and Jack Limbaugh. Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. You know, and Limbaugh is obviously a legacy for Nebraska, so that changes mm-hmm. things. But um, I'm I'm not sure Grant Bricks ever really gave Iowa that much of a chance, you know, and and that's fine. That that that's the way it goes. But it's it's different than it used to be when mm-hmm. Iowa was you know controlled the whole state. It's it's much and Missouri's coming in more yeah. now. Kansas State is coming in Kansas more now. Kansas State, Kansas, Kansas State. I mean. Iowa's got a lot more competition within its borders, maybe than it's ever had. No question. Um, And as you said, there's, 
there's really the, the state is so diverse when it comes to that part of things where if you're in Iowa, if you're in the, the 319 area code and and was it 563 is the other one because I, I keep missing it up when they split the split from three to five. When you're in this area, kind of east of, uh, I don't know, east of 35, you know, kind of Grinnell to east, yeah. it's Iowa is the dominant program. And it's, and for Iowa State to even get there, they got to have it in or I, you know, or just something that's a little different. And as you said, you know, it's not that far to Illinois. I mean, we're very provincial in Iowa and, and whether it's news media or the fans, I mean, more people in, in, Cedar Rapids get more interested in something that might happen in Mason City that may happen in Rock Island, you know, even though it's so much closer. Uh, but but if you go over to Orion, like for Logan Lee or Rock Island or or in Lena or any of those towns in Prophetstown or whatever, that's a lot like Iowa. It, it's close. It's an hour and a half away. It's you know, what's the college there? Not really anybody. Illinois, eh, yeah, but that's still kind of far. And it's not really a, Illinois is not the dominant force that Iowa is in Iowa. And Northwestern, well, that's Chicago and that's secluded. And Wisconsin, yeah, you got some power there, but it's still, it, it's fertile ground. And that's why they've done really well in rural Illinois. In fact, Tyler told me yesterday that is, we consider that our home territory because it's, it's actually closer to the suburbs than it is to like Sioux city, you know? So why not go in that area and claim it as your own, you know? So I think it makes perfect sense. Yes. And, uh, you know, recruiting is, is always so fluid. It depends on, you know, who's on your staff, uh, what connections they have. We've seen Iowa dip back. Iowa went when Greg Davis came, they kind of went into Texas and away from Florida from when Ken, Ken O'Keefe and then the Northeast. And then Ken O'Keefe comes back, they're back in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Now you got Liddell Betts and they're doing Florida again. It's just, and that's Iowa recruiting is built on networking and connections. Often it's often guys that are familiar and, yeah. uh, and that's a good good thing because when you go all the way back to there not being a lot of attrition, that happens on the front end yeah. with the identification, evaluation of the guys that they're recruiting, including this 24 class, which uh, I like. I think it's a good class. I think it addresses some needs. Um, I'm still I'm – still, uh, standing firm that they need to add receivers from the portal. At yeah. least one, if not two. You lose De- Deontay Vines and Nico Ragaini. Um, those guys were rot- rotational pieces this year. You have to supplement that. Hopefully the three guys that were in last year's class, Scott, uh, and then Jacob Bostic. There are some guys there that could emerge. Uh, I really like Reese Vanderzee. I don't know if he can play as a true freshman, but kid is super athletic. Um, and KJ yeah. Parker is an interesting guy, yeah. too. Well, exactly. And and I think you look at the the wide receivers right now. I mean, Caleb Brown emerged kind of late as a decent player. Seth Anderson, I think, was underutilized, probably the most underutilized player. And that's maybe not necessarily his fault. It's what happened with quarterback. Um, but they're going to need, you know, out of that, there's, there's four receivers that are tall, that got an opportunity to maybe be an X and, or play X snaps. And, you know, Bowie, Howard, Bostic, Vanderzee. 
I think all of them have that chance to be there, but you know, you know, what is Alex Moda? Is, is he a Z? Uh, you know, yeah, probably, but can he play? Well, we don't know, you know, KJ Parker is an interesting piece, but you know, I, I, you hate projecting freshmen because they just don't, you know, they never seem to pan out. I think the thing we don't know is, are any of these guys ready to yeah. come in next season, game one, and be able to contribute along with Caleb Brown and Seth Anderson? I don't know. You know, and, you know, and then I'd throw in, you know, somebody like Alec Wick. Can he be somebody like Nico Ragaini? Can he be, you know, they, they've had good good luck relatively, relatively with, uh, I can't even talk today, uh, you know, with, uh, with walk-on types or, or Juco, you know, Nick Easley, uh, uh, Nico Ragaini, you know, somebody could be a possession receiver. Could he come in and be a rotational guy and catch 15 passes in a year, you know, but I, I agree with you. They need a wide receiver. And it's probably to me is, you know, what, what do you try to do is, Try to get, you know, try to get somebody at a group of five level that maybe doesn't feel the need to have to catch 100 passes that maybe wants to take a step up in competition. And you could say, you know, they go, oh, Iowa's offense. But you could also say, hey, you can turn this around, too. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're, we're looking, you know, we have no problem, you know, and. You know, find somebody, I and mean, this is easy to say, like a Charlie Jones. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I like what they did with Seth Anderson and Caleb Brown last year. Those were the, you know, the two yeah. guys they brought in, and and it's not, and it wasn't just a one year thing. Those yeah. are guys that are now in the system that you can develop, um, and they already came with some some pedigree and some background. So just do that again. Do some yeah. more of that. If you, but again, I don't, I'm not, at, we're not at practice. Maybe the guys that came in this year are kicking ass this, this bowl. You know, this is the time of year for fans that don't know where a lot of these young guys get evaluated during these bowl practices. Maybe these, some, some of these guys are beginning to emerge now that they have this one, you know, a season under their belt. Right. Cause you know, the players that go to the scout team, I don't think people know this, and maybe it's something I need to write about just to make sure they do. And that is, if you're on the scout team, you're not coached by the offense. Right. Maybe you're in drills, and that's it. You go down to the defense, and the, the GAs kind of coach you. You know, hey, you're running Tennessee's up-tempo offense this, you know, the next week or so, and and, uh, you know, I don't even know who would be the quarterback to try to be Joe Milton. I don't think they have one that can even compare. I mean, so, um, maybe Rezar if they, if he's there for a day or two, but, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Kamari Moulton, just don't throw it. Um, but when you're looking at those guys, you know, a Bowie or a Howard or a Moda, and I don't know if Bowie's up or not, but, you know, they don't really have, you know, they're just running routes based off the other team against the first team defense and second team defense. They just don't have, um, you know, opportunities to even show themselves in practice. So now during bull prep, 15 practices, they're running Iowa for 10 of them, you know, so they're getting a chance to compete and, and, and some of the players that have been banged up, you know, get a chance to relax and, and stay off their feet a little bit and not hit. So they get that opportunity to showcase their, themselves. And, and I do think that Iowa needs one of, you know, it, you know, Vanderzee's still so young that it's, you can't really just say, oh, yeah, he's going to come in and play right away. If he does, that's great. But And he also but, played quarterback this year because right. they needed him to. 
Exactly. And, you know, it's hard to pinpoint anything there anyway. And I'd say Bowie, Howard, or Bostic, one of the three needs to be step up, be an X, probably take Vines' snaps in the bowl game and and move forward. And, and you know, and the good thing is, I mean, it really didn't matter anyway, but, you know, the bowl game's exempt from the four games. So, you know, if I think Bowie may have played in a couple, but yeah, he was in at least he was at least in more than one. I don't, I, yeah. can't, I lost track of how many, but I don't think I, think I don't think any of those guys played four. Yeah, so um, you know, it, it, so it doesn't matter anyway. But you know, they they can come in and play and not have an effect whether there be a redshirt freshman or not, and and they probably should. They they need to, in fact. Yeah, no doubt. Um, what are we about 45 minutes in probably a good time to take a break here and then uh, we'll dive back in for a little bit and see what we can get to but uh, support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa a list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org that is sui.org Org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for the support of the podcast and more importantly, the great work that they do in our community. We're going to hear from a few more sponsors now and then Scott and I will be back on the other side of this break. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. Straight from the man cave, Kinnick under the kitchen. Authentic, original player artwork is being drawn up for Hawkeye fans everywhere. Locally made prints of stars wearing the black and gold from the past, present, and future. How about current Hawkeye superstars, Cooper DeGene and Tori Taylor? Legends of the past like Jack Campbell, Spencer Lee, and Tim Dwight. Plus future phenoms like Aaron Graves. There are so many options available. They make great gifts and your purchase benefits the Hawkeye athletes wearing the black and gold. Visit Under the Kitchen on Facebook or at Under the Kitchen's new website. That's underthekitchen.square.site. Again, that's underthekitchen.square.site. Check out Under the Kitchen today and get your authentic, original Hawkeye print. And we are back. Thanks again to our sponsors. We appreciate them one and all. Um, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this, Scott, but I know it's an important topic for everybody. I just don't think we have 
much of an update on the offensive coordinator position. Uh, some confusion this week from what Kirk said, and he clarified it yesterday. Uh, he may have interviewed people. He may not have. Uh, I think uh, he has a he has a pretty good lay of the land and and knows kind of what he wants to do. He just doesn't want to share it with anybody, so that's fine. And it's not surprising that they're waiting till after the bowl game to name uh, the coordinator. Um, none of this is surprising. And him saying that he wants somebody that buys into complimentary football, um, I know struck a nerve with people, but I don't know why it still does. Are, are we still doing this? There, 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 there's reality and then there's wishful thinking. <laughs> and you've got to understand where reality is. As long as Kirk Ferentz is here, he's going to adhere to this philosophy. That doesn't mean he's going to adhere to certain play calling or, you know, the scheme part of it, but the philosophy is not going to change. They're a ground acquisition offense. They believe in running the football. They believe in that yin and yang between offense, defense, and then add the special teams element to it. Is and, there a more um, important statistic to him than turnover margin? No. That is number one. Other than final score, that's number one. And offense plays into that, right? Yeah. And this year it's, yeah, right. And this year was not a good year for no. that. They're like minus three, you know, and, and, and that, that that's in part somewhat to def- defense, not taking the ball away, but it's also in not taking care of the ball. But when you're losing quality players that you expect, it's going to happen. And, and I think, uh, you know, overall that um, when, when you look at what he's wanting to do and kind of shooting it out there is, he wants people to understand that he's not going to go to the run and shoot, which he told, you know, I, uh, that's why I wanted to ask him the other day was what, you know, when you get somebody in here, what do you, what is your foundation or, you know, whatever. And that's when he really hammered it, you know, complimentary football is what we're going to do. And, and uh, you know, I, I think overall, it, you know, when you start to talk about complimentary football and then you add in, elements of passing and stuff. He doesn't want to go four and five wide every play. They did a lot of that. People don't understand, but they did a lot, but it's going to be about running the football. It's going to be about slowing the pace of the game down. And then it's going to be about executing. And if you don't, you punt and let your defense live, but not put your defense in a bad position. And then, and that's what we've seen with a lot of air raid offenses. They put their defenses in really bad positions, three and out. Well, and then you look at this team, you go, well, they did too, <laughs> just in a different way. <laughs> you know, they put a, you know, they just had a great defense, but they had, you know, they had 210 more snaps this year than Penn State, and they were second in the country in, in uh, yards per play allowed. Isn't that unreal to me? That just blows my mind that they had, they were three, nine, they had 3.99 yards per play. I think that'll go up a little bit in the bowl game, but 3.99 yards per game. And they had eight more than 800 snaps on defense. It was just remarkable to me. Yeah. So, which makes what I was saying earlier about the, the seniors they want to come back. It's, you want to keep that phase as sound as possible while improving, you know, you obviously lose a major weapon in Tory Taylor, Taylor, and maybe Reese, is it Dakin, Dakin? 
Dakin. Dakin, I think. I don't know. I'm going to have to work on pronunciations, but, you know, you hope that he can at least, there's not a, a, you know, a huge drop off from Torrey, but you got to expect something, right? Um, If Cooper goes to the NFL, you know, Weechin is a nice return guy. He's not Cooper DeGene. He's also not on defense. So Cooper is, you know, he's helping two phases. But the idea here is it's not just about improving the offense. You want to improve the offense, but you want to make sure those other phases are as good as they've been, if not better. Yeah, no question. And and so if and that's why I think that, you know, why he just basically told everybody, we're we're not going to change our philosophy. Somebody wants to come in and, you know, it's like the house is going to remain a split level foyer. (laughs) But we're going. But if you want to paint the room green, (laughs) go ahead. You know, it's just, you know, we're we're not going to tear it down and build a ranch. So (laughs) that's kind of, you know, where this is at. And and so. For some fans who don't quite understand that, it's not a matter of, um, you know, they, they want the hot young candidate who comes in and maybe they were in the MAC or the Sun Belt and, you know, they averaged 34 points a game and 420 yards and, you know, but it's like, what you smoking? You're not coming here to do that. You know, you're going to have to play within the style that we want to play. And, and so that's why I think, you know, there have been reports that, you know, whether it's Joe Philbin or Scott Frost, which was laughable, you know, and other things. I, I, I couldn't even get my mind around that one. But, you know, it it could be Joe Philbin. It could be Paul Christ. It, it's going to be somebody like that philosophically that works their way in. And whether they call a game, adjust the pass routes, the concepts, that's fine. But they're not, they're not going to be 80-20 pass to run ratio. It's just not going to happen. No, they need somebody that can fix the passing game is what they need. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it can so so there's complimentary football on <laughs> offense when yeah. the passing game complements the running game because it's not doing that right now. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's weird, Rob. You look back at certain, you know, aspects of the Brian Ferentz era, and the last three years have been a disaster, let's face it, on offense. Yep. Um, and and there were there were reasons for that. There were oopses for that but then ultimately it's their fault you know when things don't work out I mean you know injuries at quarterback this year after you know you think about it from basically Stanzi's injury until Petrus's injury there was really no change up whatsoever you know I mean they had I think one start out and that was Jake Rudock and Beathard came in for him at what was it Purdue or something at 14 um, but even then, you know, when you have Nate Stanley, he was productive as a quarterback, 68 touchdowns. You had good tight ends. And then in 2020, even though Stanley was gone, they ran the ball really well. Um, but what haven't they had the last couple of years that they, um, that they'd had back then? Well, uh, you know, a consistently good quarterback and a, an ass kicker at left tackle that was able to run outside zone behind Alaric Jackson, who I, I don't know. I, I guess I would say on another tangent, Alec Jackson and, and Christian Kirksey to me were the two most underrated players I've ever covered here. I think they were both just out fucking standing and never really got their due. And I think in the run game in particular, Jackson was a mauler, just absolutely phenomenal. And, and so, 
you know, they haven't been able to really do that. And then, you, you know, receivers have been not well coached. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot there. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have a answer here sooner rather than later. We're, uh, we're getting close to the new year and uh, I can't imagine we'll go too far into January before uh, we hear about who the new offensive coordinator will be so they can get started and get to work. Uh, last thing on football, Scott, uh, you handed out the Duke Slater award our third annual Duke Slater award. I know people um, as they do bitch and moan and yeah. disparage it on social media, but I know the players that have received it have appreciated it. And more importantly, we appreciate what they do for us. No question. And, you know, the, the beginnings of this award, Rob, you know, we talked about it um, even before all the racial situation in 2020. And several of us had talked about how we were going to try to, um, you know, because we, we felt it was important, you know, these players and, and it's not just football and, you know, you know, I'd be all in if somebody wanted to do basketball or another sport, but, you know, they take their time, their Tuesday, their free time after practice, um, after their lunch, before their classes to come and talk to us and answer questions and, you know, and after games and some of it's uncomfortable, some of it's stupid and they roll their eyes at or try not to roll their eyes. Maybe I will, but, you know, and sometimes I say stupid stuff too. And, but they, they weather it and they they do it in professional fashion. I, I think that needs to be applauded because so much, so many times today it's all gotcha and it's all, you know, there's just not a lot of respect. And I, over the years, Rob, the majority, if not most of these players have been nothing but respectful. They've been very good to deal with. They've been fun. They've been engaging. They've also been serious. And they've always, even if there is a dumb question, they haven't shot it back. And they could have, you know, there are a handful of times where I expected them to, but they've never done that. And, you know, the first year Kayvon was just a true treasure to talk to. It was just a lot of fun to talk to. We could have given it to anybody, and there were a lot of votes that year. But he he kind of won out, and um, I thought that was impressive. Last year, Spencer Petras took all the bullets for a bad offense, and he kept standing there and taking them. He took them way too often in some ways, you know. but he was just a stand-up young man. And then this year, Jay Higgins – Anytime we needed an answer, he was there. He provided. He was fun. He was entertaining, engaging. But um, the true leader for this team, I I think, you know, a guy that at an important position, I going into this year, that was probably one of my most big, my biggest question was how do they replace Jack Campbell? It's hard to do that. Well, he did it so well that, you know, Jack's great and he's the best that ever does it. But Jake Higgins isn't too bad either. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. Um, so I, th- every single person I know I talked to about this kind of it was Jay, 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 you know, and, and there were others that were like, well, but Joe Evans is really good too. And Nico's fun. And, but, but Jay is stood out. No question. Yeah. There's always more than the one that we give it to, right. There's always a, a decent amount. And like you said, the major vast majority I, I can go through my mind of the the as long as i've been doing this there's only been a few that have been a little abrasive or uh com- yeah. i, I want to see even say combative but would yeah. come back and 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 a lot of times fairly 
Yeah. You know, call us out for a dumb question or a dumb topic or, or approach or whatever it may be. But for the most part, uh, they're very patient with us and very forthcoming with us and very informative with us and help us do our job so we can tell their stories to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. I've had very little problem. And, and, and you know, it, it's a it's a two way street. It's respect. We have to show them respect too, yep. and 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 that includes, um, you know, among the things I would call out our brethren, you know, is is sometimes either the the questions aren't real good, or they haven't been prepared, or they don't know the the subject matter that well, and they or they're just overly too generic at certain times, and and but yet they don't to their credit they don't break they don't say what the hell are you doing you know <laughs> you know there sometimes when it's about mood in the locker room after a loss you know what the you know i i there's part of my mind cuz you know i played a million years ago but what the hell do you think it is <laughs> you know but you but they to their credit they stand there they may be burning up inside but they don't let that show and and uh and again you know kind of going back to when it all started we wanted to show an appreciation for that and and they've uh they've embraced it they've it's it's a they feel like it's an honor and it really should be because any of those three and you could add you know multiply it by five players any of them will have outstanding lives beyond the game of football no doubt i wish uh i wish sometimes fans could get a chance to not that it's Fun to experience, but you know, the post game in Indianapolis mm-hmm. where yeah. Deacon Hill's crying and Logan Lee's fighting back tears. And I remember that in 2015 and talking to Austin yeah. Blythe was uh-huh. crying when they lost the way they lost to Michigan State. And just how much, how invested these guys are in what they're doing for your team, for the yeah. team that you root for. Um, I think it would change a lot of people's perspectives. And that's, that's why I, I feel the way I do. I know you feel the way you do that in, in all of these sports, but let's but football and because we're talking football, you know, the, the 6 a.m. workouts in the summer and it's hot and they get up at five to get there to get ready to go. And then they're lifting and, and conditioning for three to four hours and then going to class. And then in the fall and how many of these guys are going to have surgeries in January? I mean, I don't know. It's it's usually north of at least five, if not closer to 12. Um, and they're hurting and they're doing this every single day and they're doing it for each other. And they're, they're, they're sore, they're pain in pain and yet they're fighting. And in the fashion that they lose, you know, it just, it tears them up. And, you know, it's easy for us or anybody else to say, this team sucks. Uh, well, try doing it. You know, try playing it, putting there. So I, I, I guess I feel like every time I write about it or talk to them about it, I do take that into consideration. So if you wonder sometimes why we get defensive of the players when they're being unfairly criticized, yeah. we have a different lens that we look through. And uh, hopefully people kind of can draw off that and understand yeah. and, and and appreciate our relaying of what these guys are like as human beings more than just a guy that runs out there every Saturday with a number and a helmet on. So 
All right, Scott, let's uh, flip the basketball real quick here. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're running out of time and uh, football (laughs) is still uh, the main course right now. But a little dessert here with men's basketball. Um, You and I were at last last night's game against UMBC. Slow start for the Hawks. Nice recovery. Uh, Was it end of the first half was like, I don't know, a huge run, 25-7 or something like that uh, at the end. It was pretty significant. That may have run into the second half, too. But uh, I want to talk about Brock Hardy um, and his kind of impact on last night's game and his potential impact moving forward. Uh, Fran has kind of slow played him to this point. I'm of the belief that it's time to let him go. It's time to – he played 30 minutes last night, I I think – I think he needs to be up there regularly now. You know, this season for, you know, they're going to, it's a parallel to what it was that year that they took the huge dip. We just, we know where this is going. That not to say that they can't rebound and have a nice couple of games here and there. It's just, it's going to be really tough for them to get off the, the canvas and win more than 15 games this year. I just, I really think that if they can win seven in the big 10, that's probably about right. What do you do then? Well, you prepare your team for the future. And it, it kind of reminds me of when it was Jordan Bohanna versus Christian Williams. And Christian was probably a little more prepared, but Jordan had something to him, an element, and you know, he's a great passer and a really good shooter at that point. And it was like, well, it's time to make him the, the guy. And I think that's where they are right now with, with Brock Hardy. Yeah, is he a little careless? Is he a little flashy times? A little, you know, I would say needs a little more maturity on the court. You know, it's just his game, not his person, but just his game. Yeah, I think so. But you know what? You know, put him and Freeman on there. They're your future. Get them out there 30 minutes a game. Um, you know, Cricky is another one that I and, and Perkins. And then the the fifth position, you can do whatever you want with it, you know. Um, you know, and I know some fans have a lot of opinions, and but I'll just say to me, those four, the four, and, and Sanford probably too. You know, I I would probably go with those five. You know, I think Sanford's indispensable as well. I don't know why I overlooked him, but I would go with Harding, Sanford, Perkins, Cricky, and Freeman, and roll with that, and bring everybody else off the bench at different different points. Yeah, I like the. Uh the youthful exuberance of Freeman and Harding. And I think at times this year, this team has lacked that energy. Mm -hmm. Those two guys really have a lot of energy. So in addition to their being able to help you from a basketball standpoint, I think they kind of bring that energy and juice Mm -hmm. that you need at this level to, to stay at a high level. But um yeah, I think this team, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops as this season goes on, because I think there's a lot of feeling out still. Um, but I don't think this is a great Big Ten. I'm not breaking any news there. I think the league is down. So if this team can continue to develop, I think they got a chance. I'm not saying they're winning the Big Ten, but they got a chance to to maybe get some some victories in the Big Ten that you can build on, Scott, as part of that rebuilding process. Yeah. And, I, but it, you know, it's going to take time and it's going to have to be gradual and it, it's not going to be easy for them. I mean, you know, we saw, you know, the Michigan game told me a lot about this team that it's, it's got a long way to go 
And, but that doesn't mean it can't win these games either. You know, they're, they're, they're games, they're, they're going to win a couple of games. You're like, wow, how'd they pull that one out? And then they're going to lose a couple that you're like, God, what is going on there? You know, <laughs> that happens in basketball season anyway, but it's going to really happen this year where you're going to go somewhere and you're going to be like, how do they lose by 40? And it's going to happen. And then there's going to be a couple where, you know, you look at, let, let's just throw, you know, it's not, not Purdue, anything South of Purdue, but you know, Ohio State on Groundhog Day. <laughs> you know, at, at home, well, oh, wow, they won. How did that happen? You know, and then they go to Minnesota, you know, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, it could that, be one of those seasons, definitely. Yeah. So I, I would expect them to, to they're going to have their growing pains. But you know what you do when you have your growing pains is you go young and, and experience it and get the heart, you know, the the bumps out of the way and, and, uh, you know, so that that's how I would I would form my five. You know, I, I think that's the best way. I think that's the best energy lineup. Rob, you know, are you in agreement with me, or do you think there needs to be something different? Yeah, I'm still of the not always who should start, but more of the minutes guy. I'm more how many minutes are guys getting um, rather than who starts. And I know you're not saying that you know this yeah. is they have to. Oh yeah, but it's. It's. I think if I'm Fran, I'm just I'm riding a hot hand on a given night, and you know, is this person sideways for lack <laughs> of a better term on a given night? Yeah. And am I getting more from you know is is Brock Harding struggling on a given night? Yeah. Is Desante Bowen, you know, is is he better on a given night? Is Josh Dix better on a given night than somebody else? So, mm. I just think for Fran and his staff, it's going to take. This is a really important year just coaching and trying to push the right buttons because you're going to need to do that if you want to pull out some of these wins. So I'm not locked into a given starting lineup. I think it's Mm -hmm. fluid and you just kind of go as the season goes and see how guys improve. There are guys that, you know, you don't know, you know, Laje missed last night's game, Debele. Maybe he comes in and a given night he's better or Price Sanford or whatever. So I Mm -hmm. think they're they're – Pieces here, talented pieces. It's just a matter of putting to, together on a given night. Yeah. Oh, no question. I mean, basketball is different where somebody has the hot hand, somebody's yeah. coming in off the bench and they're hitting three. And Fran's always been good about that to some extent where if if he's got a lineup that's clicking in the second half, they usually sticks with them, you know, and then, then maybe there's a foul or a couple of misses or they need to change something. They don't, he'll do it. But but by and large, it's not always, and oftentimes it's rarely the one that starts the game. It's just, I guess what I'm looking at is who are the five players at the most, at the kind of spreading the positions out that kind of, I think, can impact the game positively the most and then that put them in those positions. And and to me, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's uh, definitely Harding. I think he's your future at that position. I think he's going to be a... He's going to be a crowd pleaser, you know, in a lot of ways. And then, you know, I think Perkins is still your your rock, you know, and um, really good guy. And and Sanford is your guy that if he's hot, you ride that all the way. And then, you know, Cricky, you brought him in. He's your leading scorer. You sh- you can't, you know, he's the most solid of the players, the most dependable one. And then Freeman is is like Harding, you know, except. You want that. You want him to go face Zach Eady and, and some of these players here because 
in a year, he's going to be able to turn it around. And and he's even competing now. And he has he has that bravado that only youth can provide. And I think you've got to ride it. So, and, and I'm not saying that Patrick McCaffrey or Josh Dix or Dembale or, or, you know, Price Sanford, you know, whoever shouldn't get a chance to get in there, you know, but I, I think those are the ones that I, I would kind of ride with to, to start with anyway. You talked about Freeman, his fourth freshman of the week for the Big Ten this week, which is a new program record, which is impressive. And I'll use that to segue to the young lady who wears number 22 in the same arena who won her 22nd Big Ten Player of the Week award this week, one behind the all-time leader who also wore black and gold at 23 is Megan Gustafson. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that Caitlin gets that record too um, without much difficulty. And uh, the women are in action again tonight. Oh, I guess, it, do you consider five o'clock night or late afternoon? Whatever you consider it, it is tonight at five. They play Loyola of Chicago at home. Uh, I, I like how this team has kind of bounced back from that loss, Scott. It seems to, it, it seems to have, have, has, have almost galvanized it a little bit. We're seeing Sharon Goodman start to pick up a little bit and everybody kind of settle in the rotation. You know, you lose Monica Sonano and uh, help me out the other, uh, the wing player that they lost. Um, um, McKenna Warnock. McKenna Warnock. That was a lot to replace, yeah. but I think they're, I think they've kind of figured that out. And I, and I like the rotation. I like how they're playing. Not a bad Cleveland State team they played Saturday in Des Moines, and they, it was just kind of a systematic dismantling as that mm-hmm. game went on. And that's kind of what this Iowa women's team is doing. It's just kind of steadily as a game goes on, they just gain control, and eventually you look up and they're up 25. Yeah, right. I know. You kind of get surprised almost. You know, you're like, you know, here's the thing. You almost expect them to score on every single possession. You know, they're so prolific. And so if they go two possessions without scoring, it's like, oh, what's going on? And, you know, next thing you know, you're, you know, it's the TV timeout at the midpoint. You look up, they're they're up 18. Oh, wow. I didn't really realize that. But uh, and that's kind of where this team is. It's it's uh, it's a high pro level team. And we don't and and but it's all really about maintaining because, you know, the Big Ten's coming. And it's going to be there's they're going to lose some games, <laughs> but I like the way that they've bounced back from that Kansas State game at, at Carver because they did not play well, and that look that to me was like the wake up the wake up bell or whatever you want to say that they needed um, the alarm set that this is what could happen if we don't play well if Caitlin doesn't shoot well and we don't have players scoring you can't just be Caitlin and that's it. Teams will beat you. Good teams will beat you. So, you know, with that, it's been, you know, they've been better. And, you know, I, I think Hannah Stolke adds something that when she's out there and, and running the floor, she's very hard to defend. I mean, she's like a big, she's like a tight end. She's like Noah Fant out there is what I kind of would say at that position. And, you know, she runs the floor on the break with Caitlin Clark. Nobody's stopping her. Nobody. And uh, what they consistently need is, they need a secondary perimeter shooter to be consistent. And when Gabby Marshall was doing it last year, she was great. She struggled somewhat this year. She's hit some shots, but 
they they need that consistent outside shot to go along with it because Kate Martin's going to do her thing and and uh you know I'd like you know whether that's Gab uh, Gabby or if it's uh, Taylor McCabe or Kelly Fierbach or somebody they're going to need somebody to hit three three pointers a game just so you can keep keep everybody from buzzing around Caitlin yeah it's just this team is at a certain level and you just, you kind of work towards that postseason, right? Cause that's really what this yeah. team's going to be judged on what you do mm-hmm. in March. And you just have to steadily and continually in work on the, the de- deficiencies you have figure out, as Scott said, who the, who are going to be those other shooters uh, who, who plays what role. It seems like, you know, we talked about Goodman, Sydney Offalter's, taking on a nice role of yeah. kind of a defensive stopper enforcer. Um, the, the, everybody's kind of figuring it out. It's a new team, right? So you want mm-hmm. to just kind of build towards March and get things, work out those kinks and get yourself playing at the highest level possible by the time you hit, you know, the the, the go time, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because – McKenna Warnock was really underrated in what she could do. She was a, a four, so she could rebound and be tough inside, but she could also hit a lot of threes. Yeah. So she was a true stretch four, whereas, you know, Hannah Stolke is more of a power forward four. And, uh, and so you, then you got to replace what she can do offensively. And then you take out Monica Zanano mm-hmm. and then, you know, Sharon Goodman's not Monica Zanano, not. I'm not making it a negative. It's just reality. So how do you replace what Zanano brought? Well, you've got to figure it out and right. it's organic and they're trying to make it work. And, um, you know, and, and then it's just about, you know, they've compensated a little bit by going short, you know, smaller, you know, Molly Davis getting in the starting lineup and that's been good for them and getting Kylie Fearback back and probably inserting Taylor McCabe more in. And I, you know, I think, it's going to be a continual work in progress. They're going to lose some games. They're probably going to go on the road and get beat bad once. You know, it's just going to happen. You know, and it, and so I hope the reactions are measured. <laughs> I think for Iowa, true Iowa women's fans, it will be. I think for the ones that are kind of football slash men's basketball fans, it won't be. <laughs> but but you just got to weather it. It's all about March. That's all it's about. Yep. And uh what you want to see is just steady improvement and chemistry being built, you know, as the season goes on. And, and all signs are pointing to that working itself out. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, Scott. Want to hit a couple Festivus uh-huh. uh, concerns, complaints, issues. Um, I, I'll I'll defer to you for most of these. I don't have a lot. I want to hit. I'm tired of the men's basketball attendance question. I've been we've been talking about this for going on 25 or 30 years. I have no solution. I saw Beth Getz and Gary Bardis sitting together on press row last night. Hopefully they were putting their two heads together to figure something out. You got to I mean we talked about it off air. Um Iowa was 24th in the country in men's basketball attendance last year. It's not just Iowa. It's happening all over the country, but you have to address it here. Move the students, give them free pizza, do whatever you need to do, but it has to be addressed because we've heard through the years what it cheapens the product when you give tickets away and all this other bullshit. Get people in the arena. You've got the the resources to do it. Figure it out. Do I have all the answers? No. 
but you have to do something or it's going to continue to be bad. Yeah. And I think once Beth's in that position permanently, then she'll have the authority and the, and the cachet to be able to stand up and say, we're going to do this. Cause she, she talked about it. You know, she told me about it a couple months ago that, you know, they're, they're are going to move the students at some point, but it's like, well, how much, you know, but, but when are they going to do it? Well, you know, that she can't really answer that question. Cause he's not the permanent AD, right. you know, when, when she does, then she can have a strategic plan and she can say, okay, we're going to do it this way. And we're going to re you know, I mean, even Gary, before he retired back in, February or March was telling me, he goes, if I had my way, we would cut, cut it down by probably 3000 seats and bring everything closer to the floor. Um, you know, but that costs money. And and by then, you know, they had so much stuff and then he retired. So it didn't really matter anyway, but, um, so I, I would expect that to eventually be part of it. And, and certainly I do think the students are going to be there, but it's kind of chicken or the egg too. I mean, what happens if you bring them closer to the floor and they don't show up? You know, then what? You know, then you're looking at a real eyesore. You know, last night was a complete eyesore, no matter what. But that's kind of to be expected. And 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 as you said, you know, the sport at large has a lot to blame. You know, the, more games and a longer season is not the answer. No. It's like throwing more money at a problem. You know, let's well, education's bad. Let's just give them more money, and and then it's you know, then I don't want to get political, but you know, that's sometimes that doesn't work either. You know, so I think that's the case here, where oh, let's have exhibition games in October and the start of the season, the first week of November, and it's just more to get lost in this in the, in the college football world that we live in, and and so I, I think you know, what can the program do? What can what can Iowa basketball do to do more? That's going to be the start. And I think, you know, one, among the things that we've witnessed over the last 10 years, Rob, is is probably a deterioration of fan engagement. When, you know, the PTL, yeah, I mean, after the first two nights, I was ready for it to go away. But it was a good opportunity for fans to see these players up close for media to write and, and do you know stories in a, in a time of year where there isn't a whole lot going on. And we could go over there and interview these players and watch them play and compete and fans could get autographs and meet them and, and feel an investment with these players. It's gone, you know, and then you look we at. We would have uh, been hearing about Owen Freeman and Brock Harding. Fans would have saw them in the summer. Exactly. Not now. And just now right. getting turned on to those guys. Yeah. And you know, just small little things like that. I mean, shirts and skins. I hated going over there before games to do it because it was a lot of times it was really hot. But, you know, but still, people went there. You got a chance to watch them before a football game. Um, the in-state series. I'm not going to criticize them for ending them, but that was a way, you know, in early December for fans to watch the games and care about them. No offense to UMBC or Florida A&M, but it's not Drake and you and I. It's not going to Ain or going to Cedar Falls. It's not going to Des Moines. And then, you know, and then getting dragged kicking and screaming to the Big Four Classic and then getting that, you know, lucky ticket that the Big Ten expands its schedule so you can get rid of that. Um, what are you replacing it with? Well, and then, you know, you get rid of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Okay, who is the non-conference team you're bringing in at home? Nobody. So you're removing all these opportunities to bring fans in and interest fans, and you're not replacing it with anything. So that's, to me, the program's problem. You know, the administration is, 
you know, it seems like for ever, um, it's just been, Hey, come get your tickets, come to the game. Okay. What after that? I mean, other than ice cream, is there any food that's worth a shit there? <laughs> no, nobody, you know, it's, they've added beer cause they can. <laughs> at least they had the dogs at halftime last night. Yeah. That was pretty fun. Um, you know, you, you think about the people who are currently courtside and, and, you know, how are you helping them? Why are, you know, it, it's, you're almost penalized because you're down so far and then you got to walk all the way up those stairs or you have one elevator for, you know, 500 people trying to use it. You know, it's just, it, they make it very difficult for fans because, you know, we make fun of them all the time, Rob, and we have for years about leaving at the four minute mark or the eight minute mark. Well, you know, fans aren't, you can you can blame them and laugh at them and make fun of them. But, you know, overall, you know, they're right because they're the customer. Right. And exactly. so, you know, and, and why do you, I always noticed this that when I went to Ohio state at the, at the value senior city arena, they have ushers walking up and down those rows. I mean, you know, why not have somebody with, pop or beer or, or popcorn or whatever selling because you look at, you know, somebody, you know, 60 years old doesn't want to have to walk 80 steps upstairs to go get, cause they're winded or it's, you know, hot or whatever to go get something to eat. They're just like, eh, I'll just stay here. Uh, none of that is anything for the fan experience. So, um, you know, so the sport contributes, the program contributes, but the administration contributes. It's kind of this, the three-legged stool that Gary Barr always likes to talk about. It applies to the issues with women, with men's basketball. Women's basketball is in a different stratosphere because of Caitlin Clark. But that's something that needs to be addressed. But uh, sorry for raining on your... You need to be proactive there, too. You need to take advantage of this and catch the lightning in the bottle and use it moving forward when she does leave. But yeah. you get the floor. All right. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with social media, Rob. And, I have that written down too. So yeah. <laughs> don't be, and, sh- don't be a shitty human. Yeah. That's, that's where it starts and ends. I can just leave it at that, but you know, um, let's, let's take last night, for instance, you know, we present the golden gavel, which we've talked about. It's, it's nothing but positive positive i mean we're celebrating somebody who's really good and then i had somebody said so the media's given an award to the least dickheaded player out there you know no dickhead it's not about that you know it, it's about saying you know what all these opportunities and you've been a stand-up young man you've done your you've you know we're celebrating you because yes we're the people they talk to but we're really more the 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 filter because you read about it, you see it, you hear it, and all of that comes through. And so, <clears throat> you know, for people who have to be snarky with everything, who feel like it's funny, you know, more often than not, it's stupid. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> You're fine. You know how many times I want to I want to write, you fucking whatever, you know, after everything, but I just... No, I signed a social media policy. I can't do that. I want to remain employed. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, my friends to the West, you know, the Caitlin Clark effect and how they have misinterpreted the whole thing because they want to be victims so badly that they, uh, 
they've had their ass kissed for a century about being the best fans in America. And when somebody else challenges that, even in a positive way, or presents it in a way that's not easily understood because of your education level, and yet you read it and you feel compelled to respond because, damn it, he's not calling us the best fans in America, period. You're adding something to it that I have a problem with it. Yes, uh, the whole social media, I don't even call it a phenomenon because it's, it's not, it's longer than that. It's, it's, it's here to stay. And I just, I would just caution people or or advise people to act like you're talking to somebody Mm -hmm. when you're reacting instead of just flying off the handle and acting like, um, you know, you have to defend something or wait for some waiting for somebody to make a mistake and jumping on it. And, and uh, it's part, it comes with the territory, Scott. We know that. I mean, we put, you know, just for the, for this season, for instance, we had the uncomfortable uh, storyline of Brian Ferentz. So whenever you put something out there about the offense, it's people like, Instead of staying on the topic, they want to go back down that road again mm. and fight and be more productive than because I've been there myself. I'm fighting with people on social media. It's just there's there's really nothing to gain out of it anymore. And th- there's also no way to control people from doing it. People are going to mm. be shitty humans on social media. Just know that I, each with each day. I ignore you a little bit more. I've, uh, you know, uh, there are times I fight it and times I want to fight it. And then, but I'm also kind of like Iowa's football team fighting with one arm behind my back, you know, with, with Iowa, it's because they have their offense. And for (laughs) me, it's because I can't use the words I choose to want to use. So I have to go with, um, you know, my own brand of sarcasm to try to, deflate it to massage it in a way that's understood yet not directly challenging and using words I really prefer to use, (laughs) which I just did a few minutes ago. Um, So I, I, I hate, I, I know better. I should know better. Just ignore it. Just move on. But, but when people are being blanks. Yeah. It's hard to do. I mean, when, when it's constant, it's constant and it's like consistently coming at you. It's hard to, to kind of ignore it or, but I, I've gotten to the point now where I think it bothers people more when I don't respond. Uh, Oh, it sure does. I can tell. (laughs) And you've been better at it. And I need to learn from you from this because like, you know, people, I I think last week's what started it was for me, um, the there was like a sellout or something at the volleyball final four game and somebody tagged me it's like yeah it must be the caitlin clark effect ha ha you know you know from nebraska and i'm like here's what it is guys iowa doesn't sell out volleyball Iowa's terrible at volleyball and of course trying to fit it into 280 characters is very difficult i owe 20 in volleyball yet it sold out because nebraska was coming so what I was trying to explain to Iowa fans that you guys looked at and misconstrued was this is the like the Caitlin Clark effect in reverse. Somebody's coming here to take over, just like when Caitlin Clark goes on the road, 
that Iowa takes over, or at least people are going to those games. But, well, we've been doing this for years. We're the big red volleyball. And Caitlin Clark's only been doing this recently. Yeah, but I'm trying to explain it to Iowa fans because nobody goes to freaking volleyball here because it's, well, they're 0 20. They should be better than that. It's a volleyball state, but they're not. But we're big red. Well, I know. Well, we have five national champions. We know that. <laughs> That's, That's what the, I'm Believe me, I've I don't I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen some of the exchanges you've had, and I'm just like, are people paying attention? Are you can you slow down for a minute and figure out that it's not about being right or winning an argument? It's about observing what is being discussed and having a conversation and not feeling like you're being disrespected. I think that's the most, I think that's the worst part of this. Cause we're in, in, in talking about Festivus, which I'm yeah. trying to say this with a straight face, but we, we <laughs> went through this discussion somewhat last year about yeah. Festivus, about this being our main issue with you people. Yeah. It's just being respectful and being a good human and just under try to understand what the other person is saying and not always being offended and being like you're being disrespected. It's just that. And I've gotten to the point now, Scott, where I just, I know I'm not going to um, get through to people. Not, it's not even about winning an argument anymore. It's just about getting somebody to understand your point of view maybe is different than theirs, or they're not understanding what you're trying to say and they won't relent in Mm -hmm. their belief of what you're trying to say, even though, as you said, you're trying to compliment them. Yes. And they take it as it being a knock. It's just fucking just observe what's going on. I'm like banging my head against the wall going, you guys don't understand. I'm complimenting you. I'm saying you're taking over the way Caitlin Clark does other places. Well, but. Well, we've been doing this for years. I don't understand the comparison. And then, you know, uh, you know, then I would get other ones. And this is where I started to mute and block. I, I started muting and then I went to blocking because I'm just like, I'm tired of this. And that was uh, writing about um, the other day with Kirk Ferentz and who he's, you know, the conversations he's had. And it's like, well, it must be the Caitlin Clark effect. <laughs> oh, you fucking dumbass. Are you? Yeah, I, I can't use that word. Are you that stupid? I mean, you know, that's just what I'm. <laughs> You know, it drives me crazy because I'm like, you know. I think it's a collection of dense people and then trolls. Yeah. Oh, that's no question. People are just trying to get under your skin. Yeah, and they are. That's where I I still get into it with some people. I I got into it with somebody who took a shot at Mike Haloss the other day for doing his job. And I, I didn't hold back on that one. But again. I said my piece and I muted them and I moved on, but I'm tired of trying to differentiate people that want to have a mature conversation about something and people that are trolls or dense and just don't want to know. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where we are right now. It's just, you know, this one, it was trying to be a It was trying to compliment them and it turned into this. I'm disrespecting them. And it's like, I'm telling you you're great, but I didn't tell you you're great enough. Because I compared you, God forbid, to somebody, a phenomenon from Iowa. And if you want me to get real, real here, 
Everybody knows who fucking Caitlin Clark is, but they don't know who fucking anybody is for Nebraska. And sorry for using that for it. I should use that with with that. But, I do, but I follow volleyball. But your point yeah. stands. Yeah, I mean, and and the 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 sad part was, I was kind of getting into the tournament. I was watching it. My wife loves it, so I'm watching it. You know, and now Thursday night, I also had the iPad up because I was watching uh, Thursday night NFL. But but I had it was on, and I was watching these games. And now all of a sudden, it's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm at right now. And it's sad. I like, I really was starting to enjoy this. And now you're, you guys are coming at me for this. And it's like, you know, right. You know, we're going on. to spend the next year before we get to Festivus 2024, continuing to work on our relationships with you people. Yes. Because the relationships we have now are not working. That yeah. is the basis of our combined scott and i's combined gripe with all of you so gather around the poll you've Mm -hmm. heard it here yes and i need to be a better person so i will try better (laughs) to do that let's all be better people in the new year but uh happy holidays to everybody uh if you want to hear more from scott he'll be doing another (laughs) podcast here in about 10 minutes um so we're going to let him go but happy holidays to everybody We'll be back next week. Scott will be in Orlando. I'll be here. So we'll try to figure out uh, a time that works for us. And I'll let you guys know on social media uh, when the hotspot will be next week. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Again, happy holidays to everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.